On today's episode of the Data-Driven Podcast, Frank interviews W. Curtis Preston, Chief Technical Evangelist at Druva, on the future of backup technologies after getting nostalgic about old technologies. Now on to the show. Hello and welcome to Data Driven, the podcast where we explore the emerging fields of data science, machine learning, artificial intelligence, and of course, data engineering. Andy is currently at the PASS Summit, yes, in person for the first time in a couple of years. They've had it in person. He's in Seattle presenting, and hopefully we can convince him to do a couple of live streams from the floor of the show. Uh, but the show must go on, and with me today is W. Curtis Preston, who is the Chief Technical Evangelist at Druva. And he has specialized in building data, designing and building data protection systems since 1993 and has designed such systems for some of the largest organizations in the world. Uh, he has written four O'Reilly books, the latest of which is Modern Data Protection, published just last year. He's also a fellow uh, 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 podcaster with the Restore It All podcast, and he runs BackupCentral.com. And uh, he is the, I mentioned that he's a te chief technical evangelist at Druva, uh, and it's the only at scale SaaS provider of data protection. Maybe we'll get him to talk a little more about that. But welcome to the show, Curtis. Happy to be here. Awesome. It's good to have you. And uh, we, um, we're very interested here in the show about data, but data is only, um, as secure and safe as your nearest backup. Um, <laughs> so, but it's also not like the most glamorous part. I, uh, you know, I also see you do a lot of disaster recovery and whatnot. So, yeah. um, is this, I mean, I, is it fair to say this is table stakes for any serious enterprise? Well, yeah, I, I think that's it. Well, it's like saying, um, you know, that's like asking is plumbing important for a building, right? It is. And, and this is, this is kind of like, this is the plumbing of it, right? Without, uh, I would say from a security, you know, from a data security perspective, it would be hard to get rid of either data protection, backup and backup and recovery, sort of that category or information security, right? You, you, you must have both. Um, but, and, it would be hard for me to pick which one is more important. I, I, I don't think you could, right? It's kind of like um, a roof or indoor plumbing, right? Like, Yeah, exactly. It's like, what, what do you want? Um, yeah, it's like, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like, you, you, you have to have both of those, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so I think one of the things, and I mentioned security. I really didn't mean it in that sense. But, I mean, data is, I'm reading a book, um, that's an old book, right? And you and I have been, you know, I won't mention ages, but uh, we were talking about that in the virtual green room. Like, like when I saw you were, you started in 1993 and I'm like, I was in the middle of college then. And, but it seems like yesterday. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah. one of the, one of the things that has kind of been interesting is you probably remember the run up to Y2K and all the chaos that that was. Oh, yeah. And I was I working 95 hours a week uh, during that wow. time frame. Yeah. Wow. Um, I was at, I was actually doing a consulting gig at Intuit, right? You know, uh, like the yeah. QuickBooks and those folks. Yeah. That, that's, that's where I was helping to prepare to, for Y2K. Yeah. Interesting. I have a lot of debates with non tech techie friends and relatives that, you know, that was a big waste and mm -hmm. it was all hype. And then I point out that if you look at, at least in the financial industry, because that's where I was at the time, in the aftermath of 9-11, all that effort in kind of ensuring kind of cataloging systems and going through all that, I think enabled the markets to go, what was offline for like a week or something like that. But I mean, I think right. had that not been done, I don't think things would have been so rosy. And even then, what yeah, happened was you know, rosy. Yeah, I, I, you know, people, some people refer to it as the biggest non-event in IT uh, industry, and to which I say, you're welcome. Yes. Um, you know, <laughs> we, we all worked very, very hard, and it was a very real fear, right? Um, especially yeah. in financial places, anywhere where that date 
mattered a lot, right? And again, at the time I was at Intuit and the date matters a lot for things like tax records and things like that. You know, we, ha we have another Y2K coming up in 2037. Um, I think it's gonna be a, even less of an event because all anyone has to do is switch over to 64-bit computing and everything will be fine. Actually, I think you only have to be at 32-bit computing. You, you know what I'm talking about, the Linux yeah, problem? The, the yeah, the number of seconds or milliseconds since yeah, the epoch? Yeah, number of seconds since, yeah, since January 1st, 1970, and um, that it'll hit 999999 and roll over to zero um, in uh, 2037, but only if you're still using 16-bit computers, which I think, or is it, I, I don't remember if it's 30 or 2 or 64, but so that's I think it'll be, I think so it'll be fine. They don't then. have to recompile anything like, you know. No, it's just, it's just at the, the counter. Well, they do have to recompile in that it needs to be a 64 bit operating system because it supports the bigger number there, because that's the way people don't, it, for those that don't know the way Unix based operating systems compute time is the number of seconds since January 1st, 1970. And you can only store so big of a number in a, I think it's the 32-bit operating systems. Um, and when that number hits to that maximum, it'll roll over. So as long as you upgrade to 64-bit, then that number can be bigger, right? And you'll be fine. But, um, and again, just like before, the problem will be embedded systems, right? It'll be, it'll be, there'll be some box somewhere that suddenly thinks it's January 1st, 1970. <laughs> 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 what could possibly go wrong? Right? Yeah, really. I mean, that's kind of the concern is that a lot of, I think one of the things that at least I didn't appreciate until I became more seasoned in my career is not, not the shelf life. What's the word I'm looking for? But the longevity of some of the code that is out there, even my own stuff. Like I wrote a, I wrote in 1996 or 1997, I wrote a Perl script called test.pl. I'm not going to name the 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 public domain, but it was basically a test script to see if I could get, if the web server had uh, CGI bin uh, connectors up and running, right? This is going way back. Yeah. I think there's a lot of people yeah. that are listening to this, what is he talking about? Um, yeah. But um, it was active up until about three years ago, which is kind of crazy because this one little test script and all it did was just spit out, you know, just basically all the environment variables on the server. Yeah. And it was just kind of like, that's still running. And it kind of became like, you know, I didn't want to like publicly say, hey, my script's still running. Cause I know that the, there was, a, you know, I wanted to see how long it would go unnoticed. And apparently it was about, it was about 21 years. So. Yeah. I resurrected a 25 year old shell script just like a couple of years ago. Uh, it was about, it, it, it's a script that puts Oracle into backup mode. <clears throat> and, um, it was a script that I wrote, you know, like I said, back in the other century. And uh, it was, it was kind of cool to see it come back to life and to see that it wasn't, it didn't take me, you know, ages to bring it back to life. But yeah, it, it is interesting, but that is, the, you know, the way code works, it lives on, it lives on and we end up creating problems and all these embedded systems and all of that. Right. Yeah, no, I, I do wonder about that. And I mean, at one level we have time, but I also think our, our world is a lot more, and relying on technology than it was in the year 2000. <laughs> now, now, when it comes to time, though, I thought time was now pulled off of the GPS systems, or is that also suffered from the same vulnerability? That's how time is set. But in Got terms it. of in, specifically in, again, in Unix-based systems, the way it's stored is still the number of seconds since January 1st, 1970, right? Got so. it. Got it. Okay. Um, um, and again, it'll be fine as long as everybody upgrades. Right, right, right. <laughs> it's not as big of a problem where you have to go back and recode, right? Right. Um, and and, and it'll probably be an event, right? By then, everything will be AI and, uh, you know, we'll all be living basic income or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't know. I, don't, I don't know what's going to happen. And of course, by 2037, uh, California will be all uh, electric cars. That's, uh, I believe 2037 is the year that they said that you won't be able to make uh, gas cars and or sell get new gas cars in California. But anyway, that's a whole other topic. That's a whole other topic. So um, the world of backup, 
in your career is, is probably seen it all, right? Like in the sense of, you know, first there was tape and then there was disc-based backup and that sort of thing. And then now we have the magic of the cloud. What are your thoughts mm -hmm. on that? Because that's a pretty wide swath of technology. And and so so maybe you can answer some questions about tape real quick. Um, sure. The, the tar it's not taking, dead. It's not dead. I was, that was my that was my first question. Like, is it is it still common? Um, so, uh, uh, want want me to blow your mind? And by the way, I work at a tapeless company. Mm -hmm. Having said that, right? Uh, we are a cloud based offering for data protection. Having said that, there is more tape sold today than ever before. Literally every year, right? Part of that has to do with the growth of data, right? There's more data than ever before. But literally, more tape is sold today than ever before. The growth has slowed. Um, but the reality, tape is not bad. Tape was never bad. The problem with tape, and, and let me give, if, if I were to, if, if I talk to the average person who is not a tape specialist, right? And I, I'll put you in that category, okay? If I ask you, what was the problem with tape? If I say the problem was tape was too blank, what would you say? Probably slow. Yeah, and that's what everybody thinks, and the actually the opposite was the problem. The problem was that tape was too fast. Really? Okay? That yeah, starting in about um, the mid to late 90s and getting worse and worse and worse um, through the 2000s, is that tape, the speed of tape got so fast that a single backup uh, couldn't stream it, right? So the, the thing with the tape device is that it has, uh, to this day, right? It, it essentially has two speeds. It has stop and really fast, right? And um, the it has to go that speed. It has to do with the mechanics of signal-to-noise ratio and writing data down to the thing and all that stuff. Um, and so as a result, in order for the tape to reliably write data to the media, it has to go, let's say, you know, um, I'm just going to make up like speeds, like, like a hundred miles an hour. But the problem is I have a backup that's only running five miles an hour. So how do I write backup at five miles an hour when the tape wants to go hundred miles an hour? And the answer is the tape has to speed up, write short bursts, and then go back and, and backwards and forwards. And that's what we call back hitching. Um, and you do that a lot and we call it shoe shining because it's like shining a shoe. Um, and the fact that all of the tape drives were being forced to go much slower than they were actually designed to go is actually what made them less reliable. So think of, think of it like a car, you're driving a car to the mall and every 30 feet, you're putting it in reverse and then back into drive. And you wonder why the tranny falls out on the, on the way. Right. Interesting. That was the, that was the fun. And. That was the fundamental problem with tape. And the worst part is that everybody thought it was the opposite. And so they would, they would buy more tapes to make it, to make things better. It's like, no, you're actually making the problem worse. So that I, I built a whole career on that of helping people to understand how tape works, redesign their tape based systems. There's still plenty of tape based systems out there. Primarily new tape based systems are storage systems, not backup systems. So the biggest customers of the tape vendors today, are actually um, cloud companies, right? So Amazon, Google, um, you know, Azure, they're, they're all, they all have gigantic tape libraries. And that's where a lot of this, this uh, secondary data goes, right? Um, and it, it's, the, re the reality is it's an incredibly reliable way to store data for long periods of time. The, the problem is what it really stuck at was what we were using it for, which is day-to-day -day operational backup. It used to be better at it. It actually got worse as time goes by. So everybody moved to disk, you know, not everybody, but most everybody moved to disk as their primary protection mechanism. And the reality is on disk, you can do a lot of really cool things like deduplication. And deduplication, which which reduces, you know, by an order of magnitude, the the amount of data that you're you're storing on the on the disk. And then you can do other cool things like replicate your backups. We couldn't replicate the old backups. They were all full backups, incremental backups. It was, they were way too big to replicate. But that's, that's what enabled the cloud-based companies like Druva, where I work. Interesting. That concept of deduplication, yeah. So for 
enterprises now do they mm -hmm. do they just say you know click a magic button and it goes to the cloud and then kind of the heavy lifting is done by the cloud providers or is it a little more nuanced than so, yeah it's a little more nuanced than that um you know i was a consultant for 20 years so the answer is always it depends right so <laughs> <laughs> the um it, it, i will say this if you're a, a certain size and below the answer is absolutely right not everybody does but they could right if you're let's say um i don't know give uh, assuming and you can't assume this but assuming you have high-end bandwidth you don't you know you're not running a an enterprise on a t1 line uh assuming you have high-end bandwidth and you're let's say a petabyte or less there's no reason you can't use, um, you know, the cloud as your data protection mechanism, right? I'm, I'm not, I'm not even talking about the fact that you may have much of your operation in the cloud. Having your actual operation in the cloud changes everything. But I'm just talking about a data center. And even if you have multiple petabytes, Druva has multiple petabyte customers that are multiple petabyte data center customers that back up to the cloud. So the answer is you could depending on the size of your environment, depending on the size of your bandwidth, depending on your recovery requirements, depending on your change uh, rate, that's a really big thing, right? So are you a, um, are you a, you like a, an entertainment company that does uh, digital animation or special effects for a thing? You're gonna be producing petabytes of data every day. That's not, you know, that's not very, back up to the cloud friendly, right? But for every one of those companies, there's, <clears throat> you know, a hundred other companies that could absolutely make their backups so much easier by simply doing them uh, to the cloud. And then when you when you add the fact that so many companies, and, you know, again, I'm not, I'm not talking out of school here, right? So many companies have moved into the cloud for their commute, computing needs from both a SaaS perspective as well as you know, running their actual computing infrastructure in AWS, Azure, GCP. Um, if you're in the cloud from a computing perspective, it makes even more sense to use the cloud from a data protection perspective because now, kind of the bandwidth question is is no longer on the table, right? Right. Um, yeah. The only the only reason we talk about bandwidth is all really is that data the data center, right? If you've got, you know, if you've got a 10 petabyte data center and a one and a T1 line, uh, we're not going to be friends, right? <laughs> but, but again, you probably have other problems, right? Right. And I remember when having a T1 line was the hotness, but uh, it's kind so of funny I. now. Yeah. yeah. I remember when a T1 line was so expensive, you couldn't afford it and you had to buy a fractional T1 line. Oh, um, yeah. 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 Now, now people are buying 10 gig and 100 gig lines. You know, for the business. that's crazy. So, good times. What's the is is so? Here's a question I have that is a little more modern, and not we're not waxing too nostalgic. Um, is backup like the best solution or the best defense against something like a ransomware attack? So, I have to classify ransomware into two categories. Right. Mm -hmm. um, there's sort of the the OG ransomware, which is we uh, hack in, we encrypt all your data, and you can't have it back until you pay us the money. Backup and backup related technology. And by the way, when I say backup, I I have a very big umbrella. Um, you know, anything that protects the data, puts it in another location, um, and, and and secures it, classifies as backup. And there are a you know, there are a bunch of things that fall under that umbrella. Um, backup is really the only defense to that. Okay. Um, you know, you can't rely on, for example, there are, there are some groups out there that will help you. Like there are some universal keys that will decrypt some of those backups, right? That may help you for some of the, you know, ransomware attacks, but not for all of them. The, um, other type and it's becoming a more prevalent uh type you still have to have backup but the the new attack is a is a bifold attack which is they attack your they encrypt your data uh, you know but they also exfiltrate your data 
and then and they'll say not only can you not have your data back we're going to give your data to the world right we're going to um, expose your company secrets whether they're we're talking trade secrets or embarrassing secrets right um you know we've been reading your emails i, I don't know if you remember do you remember the sony pictures yes. hack where they revealed all that salary negotiation stuff that wasn't trade secrets it was just really embarrassing for sony right um, and that was bad enough to, <laughs> we still remember that, that that was what years ago. Um, that's the new thing and backups can't help with that. Having said that sort of the third type of like, it's a second type of that second type, sort of a subtype. And that is that people are learning that they have to, um, better protect their primary systems. But this issue of, you know, we talked about backup being the plumbing of the data center. Um, one thing that hasn't changed in the 30 years that I've been doing this is that no one result, it doesn't get any love, it doesn't get any attention, and it really doesn't get any attention from the security folks don't realize is that the that the are going to infiltrate their data have figured out that the backup system is actually the easiest way to do that. Um, and so they've figured out ways to, because uh, most backups are stored uh, encrypted, uh, but they figured out ways to get around of some of, of some of that encryption, especially if they're using um, a Windows-based authentication, um, and they figured out how to get all around all of that. Essentially, restore your data and then exfiltrate that data. And so that and so that's sort of the new threat. Is yes, backup is. A defense against that, but only if it's properly designed and properly. Interesting. Interesting. The problem is a really small percentage of, like, if you're talking on premises backup systems, the number of those, like, I'm going to. Hey, you're breaking up. So I'm going to shut off people, the camera. Are... Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to turn off the the camera I so you, can, you want me to do the same yeah that way we can save some bandwidth apparently we're on the t1 today yeah <laughs> apparently um sorry i didn't mean to cut i didn't mean to cut off your flow i just no 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 that, that's the concern which i, I was it was it was actually but but due to the way things work uh it's going to come out next week and it was called the things that scare us and and the thing that this was this was my primary thing and it's the what scares me is the number of people that don't realize the degree to which their backup system is the biggest honeypot in their data center from a exfiltrate you know data exfiltration and extortion perspective um and and i just i don't think that there are ways to protect against it but the vast majority um and i'm going to say over 90 percent of of companies simply aren't doing the things that they need to do to secure their backups right because it's one of those things where it's just it's kind of on automatic now you don't think about it it's one of, it's like it's like when i flip on a light switch i don't think about the infrastructure or i turn on the water faucet i don't right. think about the water faucet you know i don't think about the infrastructure right. that makes that happen no you're right and right. it's, it, it's it, i think companies ignore that at their own peril you know uh, yeah, um, absolutely and it's and to use your analogy I would say it's a little bit more again going back to the plumbing analogy. It's a little bit more like the, the I hate it. with respect to all my fellow back people. It's it's not the electricity. It's not the lights with plumbing underneath the toilet. Okay, it, the like nobody system. wants to have anything. <laughs> it, nobody wants to have the, that. But that's the way backup has always been. Nobody wants to be the backup person, right? right. And um, I mean, I built a whole career off of that. The, well, you're kind of like but, when things go wrong, you're kind of like Batman, though. Like this, yeah, yeah, exactly. But but the reality is that you have this problem that's that's you know um, underneath so much of what you do in IT, and it's a real, real risk 
um, you know, to continue the analogy, it's like there's an alligator coming up through that septic system and you're not thinking about it. You just don't, you don't even think about that plumbing. Right. So yeah, it, it's, it's a really scary problem that a lot of people have. Interesting. I'll, I'll tell you my sad backup story. Um, sure. Um, <laughs> uh, and I think the lesson I took away from it was, you know, you can't even trust the cloud in the sense that, so I, I had a blog, um, since, um, probably say 2004. Right. And mm -hmm. I was pretty regular blogger. And what happened was, and listeners know this story because we reference it every now and then I ended up, uh, how hosting the, the blog database on ClearDB, an instance, which is there, they were a cloud, uh, database provider. And I had a free instance to, because I was a Microsoft Azure customer and there were some wires crossed. They ended up deleting all of my data for non-payment, non-payment on a free service. Mm. Nice. And that forever, I wouldn't say scarred me, but it made me think about just because the cloud says it's backed up or you just make the assumption, that's why I made that, you know, the magical cloud, right? You can't yeah. make any assumptions like that. So to this day, and this reminds me, I probably no, should do it. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, well, that you know, I'm glad you brought that up because that's when we talked about this this other episode. So I actually do two podcasts. The Restore It All is my independent podcast. My Druva podcast is called No Hardware Required, and it's the Druva podcast I'm talking about. And I mentioned what, what scared me the most. What scared my co-host the most was this concern and that is the number of people that think that their cloud resources are backed up. And the reality is that they are not, right? Um, like even if you had been a paid service, uh, like if you're, if you're a paid Azure customer, if you're a paid AWS customer, 365, Google Workspace, Salesforce, all these big cloud companies, none of them have backup automatically as part of your uh, service. And, mo and so in the case of, of IAS vendors like AWS, Azure, GCP, you, they have services that you can use, but it is up to you to use them, right? Um, and, to, and to back them up. So for example, if, I, know, I know AWS the most, partly because, well, mostly because Druva runs in AWS. AWS has AWS backup, right? And they have snapshots and the, their snapshots are not, they're actually image copies. They're not like the old snapshots that are reliant on the original storage, but AWS has snapshots that you can make of your EC2 um, hosts and your EBS volumes, but you have to make them. And then you also need to um, use the features that they have to copy those snapshots into another account and another region. Because if you don't, then you run the risk of um, what happened to you, number one, or um, there was um, a great story of a company, the, the, the real ironic story, there was a company called Code Spaces, which was an online place for you to store your, your code. And um, they got hacked. And the, the hacker basically said, you know, I hold all the keys pay me a million bucks or whatever it was, or I'm going to delete your company. They did some stuff to try to lock the hacker out and it was unsuccessful and uh, they deleted the company Ooh. and they had backups, but all their backups were inside the same account. Oh, right. Right. So literally boom. And that company was gone. And so here it is, ironically, a place that was designed to be a safe to, to store your code ceased to exist. Everybody lost all their code that was stored in there and there was no backup. So, it, you, you know, just because it's, you know, the cloud is not magic. Cloud is just somebody else's computer. It is your responsibility as an IT person to find out how is this data backed up and, and, and a backup. Um, I'll, I'll give you the, the most def, the most basic definition of a backup is what we call the three, two, one rule. So three versions of the data on two different media, one of which is stored somewhere else. So if you look at with AWS, right, pick a service, um, 
EC2 and EBS, they have no backup built in. You can create a snapshot. At that point, you've, you've conformed with the three and the two, but then you need to copy that backup to somewhere else, some other account, some other region. Both of those things, by the way, because you don't want, you know, if it's, if it's in a, an availability zone down the street and you have a catastrophic failure, it could take out both your backup and your primary. So you want to copy to another region and another account. Um, the, with, with three, Microsoft 365, Salesforce, G Suite, the, uh, unless you're paying extra for backup servers, and by the way, Salesforce is the only one that offers one, you, you, there are no backups of your data, right? So, um, the, the problem is that there are, there are, uh, I, I call them man pages, but you know, just, uh, cause I'm an old Unix guy, right? But, but there's, <laughs> there's. There's things that look like, I don't know, what do you call it? Help pages, I guess. There are help pages that use words like restore. You store your deleted emails or restore your deleted files in OneDrive. But the reality is you're not actually restoring them. You're just undeleting them, right? The 365 and similar apps is really just a fancy database. And right. when you delete an email, one, a OneDrive folder, all they're doing is they're setting a flag in that record that says this email is deleted, which means that the, the UI doesn't display that email to you. It's still there for a certain period of time, depending on you know um, how, how you've set up 365. So when you restore it, as I make quotes in the air, you're actually just unsetting that flag. You're undeleting it, right? you're not actually restoring it in the sense of backup. You are not doing the two, the three, two, one rule. You're not doing the two. There is no second copy anywhere. It's one big database with your name on it. And you're certainly not doing the one. So it's your responsibility as an IT person, wherever your data resides, whether it be in the data center, in a cloud computing space like AWS, Azure, GCP, or a SaaS service, it is still your responsibility to make sure that that data is stored in a way that the absolute worst could happen with that company and you would still, there would still be a copy of your data. And I think um, not doing that for your cloud resources is essentially nothing short of professional <clears throat> malpractice, in my opinion. Interesting. I'll, ste um, I'll step down on my soapbox. It's no, a, it's, no, that's, that's good. It's something to... that I argue a lot. So, no, no, it's good to know because you know, we're actually recording this uh, in Microsoft Teams, and I used to work in Microsoft, yeah. and one of the things you can do uh, as if you're an employee or ex-employee is you can get stuff at company prices. So I got my family our own okay. Microsoft 365 business thing. And one of the things that yeah. um, I told my wife to do, and I kind of, as I, uh, this is full disclosure here of me being an idiot, we're not thinking it through, <laughs> Um, is I told my wife, let's scan all our important documents and put them in, you know, the SharePoint on M365, yeah. right? So that way, in case something happens, we at least have that. And I was like, mm -hmm. and I, not that that's a bad idea, but now that, now that I, now that I, I hear what you said, I'm like, oh, maybe it's not as backup yeah, and secure so, so as I think it is. Is 365, so some people see 365 as a backup of their primary. So they use OneDrive as right. a backup method, right? So they store the data on their computer, like it's like essentially Dropbox. They right. store their data on the computer and then they synchronize it to one with to OneDrive. And th that's better than what I just described. What I'm mainly talking about is people who the only copy of their data is in OneDrive or three, you know, the emails and stuff. Um, and like, like me, I, I don't have, I don't use Outlook. So the only copy of my data is, I'm a, I'm a, uh, Druva uses uh, Gmail. So the, the only copy of my email is in Gmail, right? So if, if Druva doesn't back up Gmail on my behalf, then there is no copy of those emails anywhere. And so if something happens, whether it be a ransomware attack and ransomware companies are directly attacking SaaS services, uh, if it's a ransomware attack or just something really stupid on my behalf, there's no way to bring that data back. And that, that's a different thing than I'm using OneDrive as a backup tool to back up my, my laptop. I still don't like that 
but for different reasons, mainly because it's not designed to be that. It's, it's designed as a, um, you know, sync and share tool, right? It's designed as a, like OneDrive is designed in your case to be a convenience copy of your data. There's not really, there's not really tools it doesn't behave like a backup tool, especially, and it's different if we're talking about personal data and corporate data. If OneDrive is a backup tool for your corporate data, then I, as an IT administrator, should be able to look in and see that, you know, Steve has, Steve's laptop is currently synchronized and backed up. The reality is if you've got a thousand employees, half of them could shut off the synchronization process for OneDrive and you'll never know. Mm. Right. And so it's not, it's not a centralized backup and, re, and there's no way to report on that. It's just, it's just not designed to do that. Um, and so I, I don't, I don't, to me, OneDrive is a thing to be backed up. It is not a backup. Interesting. So what is the best practice for, for, for companies? Like, is there a best practice? Is there a single best practice? But like, what, what would, uh, what would companies or even just kind of small organizations like my family, uh, yeah. you know, what, what's the, what's the answer for that? Yeah. So, tape so, drives and... so I give you, no, 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 no. That's the worst thing. So okay. thanks for asking. So there, there are two questions, two questions there. What is, a, what is, you know, Frank's family do? The right. other is, you know, what does, <clears throat> you know, what does a company do? So Frank's family, um, and oddly enough, the answer is the same, but it's just different. <laughs> Probably the so, scale is a little different. Yeah. Yeah. The, the answer is to, to pay for a backup service that is designed for your type of environment. There is, uh, uh, there are, are a variety of cloud backup companies that would be happy to back up your personal data, right? They cost like, you know, five bucks a month, eight bucks a month. And they'll handle, you know, the typical uh, backup load for a typical family. Um, the, you know, they're they, they aren't competitors of Druva because we don't go after the consumer space. But like um, the these are the world? Carbonite, Backblaze, um, some other, you know, some other guys. Um, it's hard to keep track of that space because I will say that it's 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 kind of a race to the bottom. Like everybody's competing on price, and so. What, what ends up happening is companies just realize, oh, this is, we're not making any money. You know, we got, right. we got 3 million customers and we're losing money every, every month. Uh, and then they just get out of the business. Right. So uh, an example would be uh, code 42 uh, crash plan. So code 42, the company crash plan, the, 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 their business line, they've decided essentially to get out of that business. They're selling off crash plan. They may have already sold it off. Um, but, um, the, um, uh, but yeah, so that's that, that's that answer. And, and there are also generally speaking, you don't have, um, you don't have critical data in Gmail if you're a personal person, but if you do think, if you do think you do have stuff and there are also services that can. Uh, backup Gmail for like like commercial. I mean, sorry, uh, um, consumer Gmail. Uh, but the but my answer is the same for companies. There are services that will back up 365 for you, um, AWS, um, you know, your data center. And the smaller you are, the more it makes sense to use a service. It's not that when you look at a service like Druva, it's not that a we won't work for you if you're larger, it's just that the inverse is true in that the smaller you are, the harder it is to do this properly on your own, to, to, to back up the data properly, to make sure it's in three different locations, to make sure that it's properly secured. And that's becoming more and more important than ever before. Um, it's really hard for you to do that on your own, but it's super easy to do it with a company. And then the bigger you get, it just, it just becomes a little bit more of a complicated question, right? It's not a no brainer, right? So again, going back to, if you've got 10 petabytes and, um, 
in a 10 gig line, you're probably just fine. Uh, again, depending on the what's in that 10 petabytes um, and where that 10 petabytes is. Is it 10 petabytes spread over 20 data centers? That's actually pretty easy for us. But if it's 10 petabytes in one data center uh, and you got a 10 gig line and you have a relatively um, uh, small change rate, also doable. And then the other, the other factor is, I've spoken way too much about backup and not enough restore about restore. The question is, what are your restore requirements? What's your recovery time objective and your recovery point objective, which is the amount of RTO is the amount of time a restore can take. Recovery point objective is the amount of data that you're allowed to lose and as a measure of time, right? So you can lose one day's worth of data, one hour's worth of data, et cetera. Um, depending on those values, the cloud makes sense or doesn't make sense for you. Um, but the, I will just say the vast majority of companies in the world, a service would be the easiest, least expensive, and most secure way to, to make sure all your data is properly backed up and, and able to be restored in times of a disaster. Interesting. Um, one of the things I was thinking of doing uh, would be using something like AWS Glacier. Uh, to mm -hmm. like, um, so for those that don't know, um, AWS Glacier is their cold storage option and like basically compressing all of like our family photos and stuff like that and scan documents and then like just dropping it into an AWS Glacier type instance, which would be relatively cheap um, and probably yeah. overkill. But I think with backup, is it, is it, I guess it is possible to overkill. Like I know a guy who he, he's a, <laughs> you're asking me, the answer is I know, no. I realize like, but anything possible worth to go over is worth backup. overdoing, right? Like, um, yeah, like absolutely. I do, yeah. The, the, the main thing, the main thing with your, your idea, just make sure you have, there are a number of um, uh, easily available open source tools that will manage that process for you. Don't go and write the shell script to do it yourself. Okay. There are there are a number of tools that will manage, you know, maintaining both a copy as well as history in something like, um, um, you know, um, Azure or, or uh, sorry, um, Glacier. Um, or Glacier Deep Archive. Just remember, Glacier is super cheap to get into. Getting it out, a whole other thing. Right, right, right. Um, no, that's a good point. Uh, I know a guy who he is a um, he's a a big shot at one of the big federal agencies, and he does this thing where, mm -hmm. like, with his own personal photos and stuff like that, like where he actually I think he still burns CDs, or at least as of a few years ago he did. But like, he basically every like couple months he'll 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 mail a hard drive to somebody and then like that's his off-site backup and then they do the same it's like a reciprocal thing which at one point when i first heard it i was like wow that sounds like overkill but you know the more i think about it the more i'm like that's not a bad idea yeah i'll just i'll just say this i think that portable hard drives are possibly the worst backup device on the planet yeah, the, the, of all the failed backups that I've had in my years, <clears throat> the, the portable hard drives have been the most. I, I, I'm a fan. If, if you're gonna, if you're gonna do so, for I don't like, like if you're gonna do that kind, that's sort of a doomsday copy. I think that should be on like a like a a, a um, DVD ROM. Um, the um, there's there's uh, something called an M disk, M dash D I S K. It's it's specifically designed for long-term storage, and it's and it's much more shipping happy, right? Disk drives are it's a very mechanical, very precise, um, you know, device. It it doesn't even even the mobile drives <clears throat> they they can fail, right? When you're right. shipping them back and forth, I I, I would much prefer something like an M disk uh, for that for that sort of doomsday copy. Interesting. I mean, right. you need more of them. It's more expensive, but you know, again, like you said, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing it right. Right. No, that's true. That's true. Um, so we're going to switch to um, the pre-canned questions. Um, okay. And we're going to try to do this as a lightning round because I want to be respectful of your time. Um, <laughs> also, also the uh, contractors have not made any noise, and I don't want to test Murphy's law any longer than I need to. 
which is ironic because Murphy's Law and Backup seem to be um, related. Inextricably um, linked, yes. Uh, how do you, how did you find your way into this? Like, did you find the, your way into data, or did did kind of the data backup world find you? The 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 opposite. I I wanted a job quote in computers, and <laughs> I got I got <clears throat> the the gig that I could get was the backup guy at what at that time was the second largest credit card company, which was MBNA um, in Delaware, uh, which is how I, I was living up in your neck of the woods. Uh, so that's, that was the job I could get. And then honestly, for the first five or six years of my career, I kept trying to get out of backup and it kept, you know, it's like the line in, um, um, uh, the Godfather too, you know, I, every time I get out, they keep pulling me back in. <laughs> and, then, and then at some point, I, you know, I just embraced it, you know, and then, and then, and then stayed. Interesting. Uh, what's you're a tech chief technology evangelist and, uh, mm -hmm. what's your favorite part of your current gig? This right here. Like, I really like, you know, I love reaching out to people that this isn't what they do. The fact that you and I are having that conversation and you're like, oh, I've never thought of that. That's what I do. That's, you know, I love taking the, you know, the three decades of experience that I have and sort of just helping other people think differently about how they, you know, how they protect their data. If I, you know, it's, it's I know it sounds trite, but if I can just help one person save right. their data, you know, I've, I've done something right today. Well, I mean, that's important. I mean, data, data has become like, you know, it's not just, you know, just ones and zeros anymore. These are businesses, these are family photos. And I mean, we, we have yeah. such a reliance on storage technology that, you know, uh, you know, one, you know, one uh, malicious actor like a ransomware could really yeah. screw things up. Like, Absolutely. Not, it's uh yeah, it makes me really wonder. Like I'm thinking of my own backup strategy. Like oh crap, like, <laughs> like I need to uh, reevaluate this. Um, That's my job to make everybody think that question. Awesome. Well, you certainly succeeded. Um, so we have a couple <laughs> of uh, complete the sentence. When I'm not working, yeah. I enjoy barbecue. And when barbecue. I say barbecue, I mean smoking. I mean brisket, like like twelve hour cooks and things like that. Nice. I, we have a um, we have a, a wood pellet grill, and uh, actually there are electricians now installing. We just moved; they're installing an electric line just for the smoker. So, mm. cool. I'll That's definitely important. To get your advice. Um, next one is complete the sentence. I think the coolest thing in technology today is blank. So, self-driving cars. Yes, that comes up a lot. And Does it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, yeah. within year in my lifetime, they're going to become the norm. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if you've ever actually ridden in one. I've actually taken a self-driving lift uh, in Vegas. They were running. They were and still are running. Basically, a, a you know a pilot program there. They're they're they have a human behind the wheel and they sit there with their hands around the wheel and their foot hovering over the brake the entire time. But you know, the question is the coolest thing being in a car that's just driving itself up onto the freeway, navigating traffic, stopping at stoplights, you know, halting the brakes. If somebody, you know, comes across and, you know, as a pedestrian, I'm just like, that is the coolest thing I've ever seen. And I can't, I can't wait to see more. And I think that the more that that happens, the safer travel will become, you know, yes. we're in, this, we're in this weird time now where, you know, uh, you know, anytime anything happens with a self-driving car, they're like, oh, look, it's unsafe. It's like, dude, it's done 50 million, you know, miles and we had one accident, you know, get over it. It's better than us. As you yeah, know, way better than us. Yeah. Um, complete the sentence. I look forward to the day when I can use technology to blank. Um, that's a, that's, man, that's a, that's a tough one. Um, well, I, well, I'm, I'm just going to revert to the other answer when I can, I can just push, I can just push a button and a car, like, I don't have to own a car. A car just shows up at my house. No human required. I can get in that car 
and just tell it where I'm going. And then it completely navigates me from A to B. And then, and then I'm done. And I don't, I don't have to own a car. I, I, you know, again, that's like living in the future. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I'm with you on that one. Like it just, uh, you know, I don't have to commute anymore, but like, I do remember when I did have to commute, it just became, uh, you know, dealing with just traffic is just, just the big drain on just cognitive cycles. Yeah. Okay. So question six, share something different about yourself, but do remember that this is a family podcast. <laughs> I just completed, um, I am a poll worker and I manage, I'm a site manager for San Diego's, uh, election. And, oh, cool. uh, I just completed my fifth election. Um, and we had more voters than ever before in-person voters. I believe it was 86, you know, my, my new, I live in California. Everybody gets a mail-in ballot and still in San Diego County, 86,000 people came out to vote in person, 600 of which came to my vote center. Um, on 500 of which on election day, right? We had four days of voting and wow. the three days of voting is about a hundred people all total. And then 500 came on election day. Um, wow. and, and I just, I love that. I love that. I love democracy. I love helping people, you know, sort of vote. And, um, yeah, I like that. Um, Next question. Audible sponsors data driven. Do you do audiobooks uh or otherwise can I you do. recommend a good book? Cool. If my favorite Audible uh book is actually As You Wish, The Inside Story of the Making of the Princess Bride. Oh, interesting. The, the, you know, if you're a fan of the Princess Bride movie, uh, and if you're not, what is wrong with you? Um <laughs> if you're if you're a fan of the Princess Bride movie, that is an amazing book. It's written by and narrated by Carrie Elwes, the, the guy who plays Wesley in the movie. And it has a number of parts where um, he, he has, um, what do you call it, um, other you know guests that were also stars in the movie. Um, including the director and Robin Wright and you know a, a bunch of people. And... Um, you get to hear these great stories about all the people that were, that were part of the movie. And it just, uh, it, it, it even, it, it brings the movie even more to life, I think. Interesting. Well, that's good to know. Uh, and finally, where can people learn more about you? So you can, um, backupcentral.com is my website. I have a blog and, and a podcast there. If you'd like to like, um, my, my book, um, is actually Druva sponsored it. So if you would like a free ebook copy of my book, you can go to druva.com slash uh, ebook and, um, and you can get a free copy. So there you go. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. Any parting thoughts? Back it up or give it up. Ooh, I like that. That needs to be on a bumper sticker or a laptop sticker. <laughs> Absolutely. I like that. All right, now I'll let the nice British AI lady end the show.